You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a Bible doctrine series by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Eight disciplines of living a godly life. As we've already discussed, developing disciplines in our life is not easy, and developing spiritual disciplines is even more difficult. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through verse 14 has been our text. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared in all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, say it with me, and godly in this present world. We should live godly. What is it to live a godly life? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our series as we continue here tonight. We've talked about several things thus far that will produce godliness if we would just only surrender and be submitted to you and and pursue true holiness, not some hypocritical holiness, not some pharisaical holiness, but true holiness. That we would live a sanctified life, that we would be yielded to your will for our lives. So help us as we look into some new disciplines tonight that are very, very, very difficult to live out. We need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now tonight, here's what we're going to do. I actually had to take this lesson because I know myself too well. And I had to divide the lesson in half, okay? Uh, So uh, just to let you know, I've done that in advance and kind of shortened it a little bit uh, to give us a little bit more time to deal with some of these important principles that we'll be teaching here uh, this evening. But as I prayed, tonight is... uh, is a discipline that all of us need in our lives, but it's very difficult. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, His filling, in order to really develop this discipline that we're going to look at tonight. But without it, we cannot live a godly life. So let's do our review. And again, I've cut the review way, way down to what we usually do. We talked about the pursuit of holiness, of really committing ourselves to living a holy life. We talked about the importance of sanctification, being separate from this world and just totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives and bringing honor and glory to Him. We talked about how important it is to to live a yielded life. And when we're talking about living a surrendered or yielded life, we're talking about simply saying, not my will, but what? but thy will be done, and to really uh, seek to know what God's will is for your life, and then being committed to living that out. Then we went into the eight disciplines. The first one was what? Yeah, it's right there, okay? Ready? A life what? A life lived in prayer. Can't live a godly life unless you have a prayer life. Then we saw, number two, what? A life lived by what? by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then we talked about how we can actually grow our faith. 
Number three, we talked about a life lived in what? Meditation. Something that very few of us do on a regular basis, and that is meditate on the truth of God's word, hiding it in your heart. Then we saw we're to live a life of? Obedience. Obedience. God blesses obedience. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. We talked about what kind of life? A spirit-filled life, a life filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. By the way, what was the fruit of a spirit-filled life? Two things. Anybody? Was the fruit of the Spirit and the use of your spiritual gifts. Okay? Those are the evidences that one is filled with the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Then last week we talked about what? Giving to God and giving to others. This Sunday, a young man came up to me and he said, you know, I was here Wednesday night and he said, I, I was so deeply convicted about the fact that uh, I am not tithing. And he said, I'm just not disciplined like I should be. He said, so I downloaded the Tithely app. Uh, so I don't even have to think about it. It just automatically uh, comes out each and every week. So that, that was a blessing uh, to me. <clears throat> now tonight, again, we're going to look at a very difficult discipline, and that is to live a life of forgiveness. How many of you here have ever been bitter towards someone? How many of you here have ever been offended or hurt by someone? How many of you here feel like there's times when people took advantage of you? So all of you have struggled with bitterness. So developing the Spirit of forgiveness. It's never easy, but it's exactly what the Lord commanded us to do. He commanded us to forgive one another. Read this verse with me if you would. Ready? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What has he forgiven us of? Think of all the sins that you have committed and I have committed in my life. And I'm going to tell you something, I wouldn't want people to know the sins that I've committed. But he has forgiven me all of my sin. And if he has forgiven us of all of our sin and all of our offenses towards him, we ought to do the same towards one another, right? Right? even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, which is unconditional forgiveness. Forbearing one another and forgiving, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against... How many of you have ever been involved in a quarrel? If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So that's twice that our forgiveness is to be tied with the same forgiveness that the Lord has forgiven us. Our example. Corey Timboom. How many ever heard of Corey Timboom? Oh, what a life that she lived. But notice what she said here. I thought it was so powerful. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of what? Bitterness Bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Boy, did she just nail my entire message tonight, right there. I mean, we could wind it all up, leave and go home and 
but we're not going to. All right? Let's look at a definition, a biblical definition of bitterness. Of course, in the Greek word, it means to undergo something painful, something that's unpleasant, an injury, grief, affliction, or a trial. We've been talking about suffering, haven't we? On Sunday morning, we've been in it seven weeks now. <clears throat> means to make fast, to fix, to fasten together, to build by fastening together, meaning to build a case and stand against someone for revenge for what they have done to us, bringing about their own destruction. How many of you have ever been tempted to take revenge on someone? How many of you have ever hoped someone would suffer because of what they've done? A few more hands went up on that one. You're not going to take revenge, but you hope it happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what it means. That's, that's the whole idea of that Greek word bitterness. You build a case. I am building my case against you. That's why the Bible said we're, for, we're to forgive our debtors. We're not to build a case against them. The word is closely related to the word bite. But if ye bite, how many have ever bit back at someone? Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on. I saw one of you back there cringing. Huh? Yeah. Biting back. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say, then walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Flesh lusted against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. What is the things that we should? We should forgive. Not get involved in quarreling and debate and argument and biting back. What does it say of the Lord Jesus? When he was reviled, what did he do? He reviled back. No, that's not what it says. When he was reviled, he what? Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't, I'm going to get back at you. But he committed himself to him that judges righteously. And so that is exactly the same attitude that we're to have, that Christ-like attitude. Let's look at a biblical description, not a definition, but a description of bitterness. Interesting, it's called poison. Poison. When you do not forgive, you're really not hurting the other person. Who are you really hurting? You're really hurting yourself. You're poisoning yourself. It means to make a person deadly sick. Poison. It's also called wormwood. Wormwood, which is a strong-smelling plant which has a very bitter and unpleasant taste. Bitter. How many, when you were a kid, snuck Nestle's chocolate out of... Okay. I remember doing that. My mom thought it was the funniest thing ever in the whole wide world. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, actually she had, it looked like a chocolate bar, but it wasn't, it, I mean, it was chocolate, but whoo, that was bitter, that was nasty. But poison, wormwood, 
then it's likened unto gall. A bitter, slightly alkaline, yellow-green fluid secreted from the liver and stored in the gallbladder, bile. It's used in Scripture to refer to anything that is distasteful, unpleasant, and which causes vexation of spirit. So think of this. When we refuse to forgive, when we resist the grace of God, a root of bitterness springs up into us. It poisons us. It's like wormwood. It's, just, it, it's unpleasant. You know what? Someone who's bitter is not a pleasant person. They're not, even a pleasant, they're not pleasant to themselves and they're not pleasant to be around. Poison, unpleasant, and just nasty. Na- gall, come, think of that, coming out of the liver. Now, you all know Isaac and I hunt together, okay? And uh, we got some deer Monday night, and we had to gut those deer, okay? Let me tell you something, that's nasty. But if you're not careful when you're gutting a deer, and you go too far into the entrails, it's really nasty, okay? They actually make knives to protect you from cutting too deep into the gut of the deer, that nasty bile that can come out. Just think of that. That's that's how God describes us. I've been bitter. How many of you have ever been bitter? That's how God sees, that's how he sees us. Poisoning ourselves, just unpleasant to be around. Someone said bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the offender to die. Good point, right? So bitterness is simply, and this is where we've been in on Sunday, bitterness is simply not seeing suffering from God's perspective. Is there a purpose in the pain that God allows into our lives? I received a phone call the other night and I felt so sorry for the man that was calling me and what was happening in his life. You know, Sunday I talked about, I can't identify with you or with you or with you because I've never been through that. And I've never been through what this man was going through, but I'm telling you, he just broke down and he's weeping on the phone uncontrollably. And, and, and the story that he's telling me of what just happened in his life brought tears to my eyes. And this is what he said, Pastor, it's so painful. And he was talking about emotional pain. Suffering can be very painful, right? But let me ask you a question, church. Is there a purpose in our pain? Yeah. Aren't you glad that you have pain receptors in your body? You put your hand on a hot stove, what are you going to do? You're going to pull your hand away. If you didn't have a pain receptor, you'd keep your hand there, right? So thank God for the pain that comes into our life that hopefully we can learn from that suffering. So suffering does have a purpose. That's why the Bible says we can rejoice in suffering. Now, I don't know how many of you are there yet. I'm trying to get there. 
But it is really, really hard to rejoice in suffering. And especially when someone else has brought the suffering into our lives. One thing I find over the, all the years of counseling in marriage is one of the reasons that a husband is bitter towards the wife or the wife is bitter towards the husband is because one or the other has caused suffering to come into their life. And they're like, I don't want anything more to do with this person. They are making me suffer. Get out of my life. And don't we have a tendency to do that? Whatever is causing the suffering, we try to escape that and push that out of our lives because it's so painful. So the Bible says rejoice. Rejoice in suffering. Now the only way to ever be able to rejoice in suffering is to see God's purpose behind it. So this is what I want to do here just for a few minutes. I have to go quickly because we've got several points here. First of all, if, how many of you want Christ's power upon your life? then the Bible says you have to accept suffering. You have to accept it. You have to embrace it. So we all say, oh, I want Christ's power! But I don't want to accept the suffering that comes along with it. If you want Christ's glory. How many of you here want His glory upon your life? Then you have to welcome suffering. You have to accept it and you have to welcome it. If you want to reign with Christ, I can't wait to rule and reign with Christ. Won't that be an awesome day? How many of you here want to reign with Christ? Of course we do. Then we must be willing to suffer with him. If you want to receive a crown of life, remember there's five different crowns that we can receive and cast back at his throne. One of them is called the crown of life. The Bible said you have to be willing to endure suffering. Sometimes that endurance goes a long time. Until death will do its part. It'll go a long time. If you want to fulfill God's calling upon your life, then you must follow Christ's example of suffering. He's given us an example that we should follow in his steps. So why are we here tonight? We're here tonight because we would all call ourselves followers of Jesus. But do you want to follow in his steps? If you want to develop godly character, then you must allow suffering to have its perfecting work. Have any of you got to that point of perfection yet? I mean, I had a, I had a prison ministry for several years with Pastor Dungy. And uh, for a year, I went with him into the prison, and then he kind of turned over a class to me, and I was in there for, I can't remember how many years, I was in the prison for several years. But I met a man in prison who believed he had reached perfection. That's the only person I've ever met that believed he had achieved it. And he actually told me, I don't sin anymore. It was a nutcase. <clears throat> by, by the way, the same guy I'm telling you about, uh, he got an ordination certificate uh, from California, someplace in California, because it was one of those mail-in ordination certificates, so he was real proud of himself. 
Yeah, someplace in California. Yeah, yeah, California, go figure. If you want to be an effective witness and an encouragement to others, then you must respond correctly to suffering. We comfort others with the same comfort or with we ourselves have been comforted of God. That was in Sunday's message. If you want your faith, how many want their faith to increase? You want more faith? We say we want more faith. What are we saying? Bring suffering on. You must see suffering as a precious gift from God because it's increasing your faith. If you want to experience close fellowship with God, you must commit your soul to him as a faithful creator. Now these are all things that we say we want. Every Christian who has any desire to walk with God would say, I want all of those things, but let's set suffering over here. Let's put that on the back burner. But God says, no, you have to accept it. That's how he produces these things in our lives. If you are going to live godly in this present world, you have to expect suffering to come. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you want to be counted a worthy servant of God, then you must count it all joy when suffering comes into your life for his name's sake. If you want God's fullest blessing upon your life, you must rejoice and be exceeding glad. Wow. When called upon to suffer. Can I ask you a question before we go for How many of you are here? I'm not. I'm not here yet. I'm trying to grow in this. But I'm telling you what. Our church is going through some suffering. When one member suffers, we all suffer. There's a lot of people suffering right now in our church. Rejoice in it. And these are just a few of the purposes of suffering. So if we don't see suffering from God's perspective will become what? We'll become bitter. Instead of becoming better, we will become bitter. Now, some of you raised your hand and said, there was a, a time when I had a bitter spirit. You know why that was? Because you didn't respond to suffering by the grace of God. What you rejoice in is all of these things. Let's, let's go back. For example, if you want to be counted worthy of, 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 of God's servant, you need to count it all joy. If you want God's false blessing on your life, you need to rejoice and be exceeding glad. We can go back even further. If you want all of these things to happen in your life, you have to accept it and you have to embrace it. Because this, this is the formula that God uses to develop all these things in our lives. So suffering is a fertile soil. Remember how the heart of man can be soft or it can be hard. 
So hopefully through suffering, your, your, your heart doesn't become hard. Your heart becomes more tender to the things of the Lord. So suffering is the fertile soil to which God transplants every growing Christian. So he's tilling our hearts. He's softening our hearts. Suffering is the motivation to take our eyes, this is really important, to take our eyes off of the temporal. What does it mean, temporal? Worldly things, things that don't last, things that are not eternal. To take our eyes off of the temporal so that we can really see eternal realities. And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more later. So it's getting our eyes off of the present and on to the future. Suffering is the pain that is required in order for true healing to take place in our lives. Is Larry going through some pain right now? But he knows he has to do the... I mean, he said it was 4 o'clock in the morning when he was just awake and he said, Pastor, it was just like someone shoved a knife right into my leg. And then the doctor goes, that's great. Well, once Larry learned that that is a byproduct of the brain tumor dying, guess what? The knife into the leg felt a whole lot better, right? So now he could rejoice that he had the knife in the leg. Isn't that interesting? That's how we're to see it in our lives. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that need to be healed in all of our lives, isn't there? Yes. <laughs> I like what one person said. The church is just a hospital for sick people. Isn't it wonderful we can come in here and have a touch of God? To touch those things and to heal those things in our lives. Suffering is the confirmation that you have been chosen for a special leadership in Christ's kingdom. Think about this. Those who suffer the most will be rewarded the greatest. God's word makes that very clear. Think of some of our Christian forefathers. Well, even just going through, remember Hebrews chapter 11? Does anybody remember what it said about some of these? What, what did it say? What, what happened to them? They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, destitute, afflicted. It's unbelievable. But they have a special place in God's kingdom of whom the world was not worthy. Last night, I turned on PBS and they had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was on there. Did anyone see that last night? They had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir I don't embrace their doctrine, but man, can they sing? Oh my goodness. And they were singing the Hallelujah Chorus. 
I mean, they had a, they had a lot of other, they had a woman on there singing, my good, I'd never heard a voice like that. It was all Christmas special. But when they sang, and he shall reign forever and ever, my eyes swelled up with tears. Listen, this, this is temporary. Right? All of this is short-lived. Pastor Bruce is going to be in glory probably next week. His life on this earth is over. And a pastor could talk to us tonight, he'd say, went just like that. What is our life? My favorite saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's not many people like Pastor Peterson that are just going to live forever in this life. <laughs> uh, one day we'll be with him. Amen? Amen? But the God of all grace, who hath called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, here's what God will do. He'll make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Actually, I, I quoted this verse last night to the gentleman that I was on the phone with. This is what he said to me. He said, I am in so much pain right now. He said, I can't even read my Bible. I said, that's exactly what you need to do right now. Is get your Bible out and read your Bible. He goes, well, where, sh where should I read? I said, read anywhere in the Psalms. Open the Psalms, read anywhere. I said, or read first and second Peter. You know, isn't it interesting when we're going through suffering, we want to stay out of church. I don't want to talk to people. Don't want to see people. We stay out of church and we stay out of the word. And we stop praying. And guess what happens? Things get worse and worse. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Loss isn't always bad, is it? Kind of shifts our priorities around. You know, I hate to keep using Larry as an example. He works so hard. Larry's a hard worker. Good man, hard worker. Worked hard all of his life. Gets up to the point, he retires, and the next week he finds out he has a brain tumor. I've suffered the loss of all things. We said this last week, I'm going to say it again. What do we have that we cannot lose just like that? That's it. That's it, Jim. That is it. As I was coming to church tonight, our, our roads back there where we live, they didn't look that slippery, but men, were they slippery. <laughs> of course, I'm in a truck. Trucks are, unless they're in four-wheel drive, they're pretty slippery. And I, I came around a corner, and I, I wasn't going fast, but I came around a corner, and I knew I needed new tires. Now I really know I need new tires. And I came around that corner, and I lost control of my truck. If there had been another car coming, 
I was able to get control of it before I hit the ditch. But for as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh, notice this, hath ceased from what? You know, there's a lot of suffering you go through that just tenderizes your heart, and you find out, you know what? I'm not as critical of people as I used to be. I'm more patient with people than I used to be. I have more compassion on people than I used to have. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. So let's recognize some of the symptoms of bitterness. Now, I will say this over all these years of counseling, no pastor could agree with me. Most people who are bitter don't believe they're bitter. If you ask them, are you bitter, almost inevitably they will say no. No, I'm not bitter. They will say, I've been what? I've been hurt really deeply. Or they'll say, so-and-so has so disappointed me. I've just been disappointed. Or they'll say, I've, I've been taken advantage of. Or they say, you know, I was just, I was just offended. By the way, they that love thy law, nothing shall offend them. You ever heard that verse? Or they'll say something like this, so-and-so has sinned against me. I don't know why it's so hard to admit I'm bitter. Maybe it's because Satan wants to keep us in that bitterness. And we have a tendency to resist the grace of God. But I wonder how many of you, when someone's been trying to work with you and disciple you and help you, you've, you've said these same things. No, I'm not bitter, I'm just hurt. Just disappointed. I just don't think it was right that I was taken advantage of. Wouldn't you be offended if they did that to you? Or, Pastor, you don't have any idea how this person has sinned against me, and not just once. I think we got a passage in the Bible that talks about that. We'll get there in a minute. I'm not bitter. Do you really want to grow up to be a cranky old man or a cranky old woman? I'm just angry. I'm just a little jealous. Oh yeah, there's just there's there's some division and some strife there in the family, yeah. Yeah, we argue quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I do have a tendency to complain. Yeah, I've been pretty unhappy lately. You ever, you ever figure it out? You can't be bitter and happy at the same time? 
you know bitterness can cause you to be physically sick? Makes you more susceptible to diseases? The Bible calls it bondage or like being in prison. We'll get to Matthew 18 here. So there's this spirit of deception. Who brings that spirit of deception? Satan does. And listen, we really, this is what my wife told me. She said, Dan, this message is a message that needs to be preached at least once a year. But we all get in that spirit of deception. Say, I'm not bitter. Listen, how in the world will you ever come to victory? How can you even help someone overcome bitterness if they won't admit they're bitter? It's okay. We've all been there. So it's very common for a person who is bitter to think that they love God and that they are in fellowship with God. But here's, here's, here's what I want to say. If you're bitter, do you really love God? And are you really in fellowship with Him? Most people that I counsel when I'm dealing with, I can just, you can just tell when someone's bitter. Right? Are you with me? You can just tell. They just, poison just kind of comes out of them. But they will say, I love God with all my heart. And they'll say, yeah, I believe I am in fellowship with God. But what does the Bible say? If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is what? A He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath not seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment that we have heard of him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. So if you love God, you're not going to be bitter towards someone. So you can't do them both, right? Hello, are you all with me tonight? You can't do them both. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, who, who would that include? You are a smart group of people. If ye have aught against any, anyone, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you of your trespasses. It's pretty serious. What does he say? Listen, I, I don't want to hear it. Just go, you go take care of that. Then come, we can get back together again. So, you can't say... I love God and be bitter. You can't say, well, I'm in fellowship with God and hold on to a root of bitterness. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. And, and let me say this. Sometimes the Bible says, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. 
There are some people that even if you go to them and apologize and say, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? They'll still hold bitterness toward you. But at least you've done your part. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come offer thy gift. What does the Lord say? He said, I don't, I don't want your gift until you get reconciled. Agree with thine adversary. What? Quickly. Don't wait. You ever notice the longer you wait, the harder it is? Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time thy, advers thy adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officers. Now here we go. And thou be cast into what? Prison. prison. You don't want to be locked up in a prison of bitterness. So when you come to the altar, make sure there's forgiveness there. What a beautiful thing it is to see people reconciled, right? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, don't get locked up in bitterness. So let's look at some steps to overcoming bitterness. First of all, we have to repent of temporal values. In order for a person to overcome bitterness, they must come to a place of repentance. Someone has violated what I think are one of my rights. Okay? Um, let's say you just get a new car, and you loan it to someone, and they go out, and they get in a headlong accident with it and total it. Are you going to be happy about that? Rejoice and be exceeding glad. You see, we all have a root of temporal values. We're holding on to the temporal things. And when someone takes away one of our temporal things or damages one of our temporal things, you know, I'll tell you, raising seven boys... and then trying to find one of your tools. They're in the woods, they're in the sandbox, they're in the playground, they're... You know what? My garage is so nice and neat right now. Everything is in its place. It's awesome. It's awesome. I never have to get mad now. If I can't find something, it's because I can't remember where I put it which does happen. But bitterness reveals that there's some greed in our lives. We want to hold on to those temporal things. Greed is really covetousness, which the Bible says is idolatry. We're worshiping these temporal things, and when someone causes us to lose those things that we're holding on to, that makes us angry. You know, my heart goes out to all these businesses that are going under There's like 6,000 restaurants that if they don't open in the next couple of weeks, they'll be gone. Out of, that's just the state of Michigan. They won't survive this. You listen to some of those owners, they are bitter. Why? Because their livelihood has been taken away. It's a temporal thing. I, I understand. I feel for them. 
The Bible says that covetousness is idolatry. We're worshiping things. Bitterness is conquered when we look to the Lord for our reward, not to man, but we look to the Lord for our reward. So we need to view temporal losses as spiritual gain. Whatever things were gained to me, those I counted what? Lost for Christ. The Lord wants to take them away. It's okay. But call to remembrance. This is a passage of scripture I use Sunday. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated or saved, ye endured a great fight of affliction. Partially whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly uh, which ye became companions of them that were so used. Everybody just be taken... Can you, can you imagine being treated like this? And then he says this, For ye had compassion on me in my bonds, and took, and I highlighted this, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. I don't take joyfully the spoiling of my goods. So what does that tell you about me? I have a temporal focus. And if my goods get spoiled, then I have a tendency to want to be bitter toward the person who spoiled them. Here we go. The dot, the temporal, and the line, eternal. What are you living for? What am I living for? Am I living for that little worldly dot? Vapor, gone? Or am I living for eternity? Serious question. Number two, thank God for allowing the offense. In everything, really thank God for the offense? Thank God not for the offense, but for his good purpose in allowing the offense. And we know that all things, what? Work together for good. God's working something good in it. We may not see it right now, but by faith, we bring, God's going to bring something good from that. <clears throat> I can't believe it's 8 o'clock already. Good thing I cut this thing in half. But most of you weren't here 22 years ago now when we went through this horrible church split. And, uh, I don't know if some of you were, were there when I stood before the fellow, and people are yelling at me. Yelling at me. And I'm apologizing, I'm asking forgiveness, and they're just yelling at me. And finally, Phil Westheimer stood up and he said, Hey, I cannot believe that you're talking to our pastor like this. And he just kind of shut things down. And of course, we went through the church split. It was a terrible time. But you know what? Ruth and I, we were talking about it tonight. Look what God has done. That was a horrible thing we went through. But look what God has done. So thank God, not for the offense, 
but the fact that he has a good purpose that he's going to bring out of that. God is not responsible for the wrongdoing of those who hurt us. You know what? God gets blamed for a lot of things that he has nothing to do with. God has promised to use the wrath of those who hurt us to literally benefit our lives. As I look back at everything that happened in Napoleon, and some of, the, some of you were there with me years ago, all that that took place there in Napoleon, God used that to bring benefit in all of our lives that are here tonight. Isn't he an amazing God? Bringing those... Now Matt, Matt had just gotten saved when that all happened. He says, stuff like this don't happen in the Catholic Church. <laughs> Do you remember that? I'll never forget... They don't happen in the Catholic Church. They're not concerned about doctrine in the Catholic Church. They're not just... <laughs> so Matt's like, this is so cool. And I'm like... <laughs> what causes us to be ungrateful? Assuming that God owns us something. I'm going to tell you, this is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that's preached today. It's just a... Job's wife would have made a good health, wealth, and prosperity preacher. Because when everything came crashing down, what did she say? Curse God and die. Why are you holding on to your integrity? But what was Job's response? Does anybody remember? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. If God gave us what we deserve, none of us would even be alive today. Right? Better than I deserve. The wages of sin is death. It's because of the Lord's mercy. We can go to the throne of grace to find mercy, grace to help in time of need. It's because of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hallelujah. Focusing on what we thought we should have received rather than on what we have received. Why are we the most wealthiest nation in the world and yet we complain more than anybody else? We, we, we have so much. Even the poorest among us are rich in comparison to the rest of this world. But haven't we received the greatest gift? The gift of eternal life. What a great time of year we're in. Number three, <clears throat> view your offender as God's agent of perfection. He is perfecting you through that person that you can't stand. All right? So this is an important basis of for forgiveness, is realizing that God is using that person. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I can look back to all that that happened in that church split and seriously, I could go up to every person who stood up against us that night and say, thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. It's very important that we really get a hold of this principle right here. You've got to get into God's word. God, how are you using this person in my life to perfect that which is lacking. Humble yourself, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he, what? 
careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat you up with bitterness. And you've got to say, no, that's not happening. God has allowed this to come into my life, and this is the purpose for which he has allowed it. So stop listening to the devil. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that these same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You're not the only one going through it. But the God of all grace, there comes that verse again. But the God of all what? Go to the throne of grace. But the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory. Job's response, naked came out of my mother's womb, naked I shall return, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. What a great attitude. Joseph's response, of your brothers beat him up, threw him into the pit, sold him into slavery, 13 years in prison. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for what? It took 13 years, but God brought amazing good things out of that to bring to pass, as is this day to save much people alive. David's response to uh, Shimei. And when King David came from Baram, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. He came forth and cursed still as he came. He's cursing David. Now David's king. And he cast stones at David and at his servants of King David. And all the people of all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial, you, you devil. Then said Abishai unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And David said, let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction and that the Lord will requit me good for his cursing this day. Isn't that a great attitude to have? Now, did God reward David for not cutting off his head? Yeah. Has there ever been somebody who said, boy, if I could just cut off their head? Remember David and Shimei. Stephen's response when he was stoned. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Christ's response. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We're to forgive as God for Christ's sake. What church? Hath forgiven us.
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.